Highly double. Grab your pants. Morning. Welcome to Wednesday Breakfast here with Nick and Paddy. Good morning. Um, what have we got coming up in the show today, Paddy? <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got some great things coming up in the show. We've got a hark back to last Thursday where we, um, 3CR Radio, held a 24-hour broadcast for International Women's Day. We've got a special rerun from there from Hope, who used to run the Tuesday Breakfast. Um, later in the show, we'll also be hearing from uh, somebody who released a, a poem uh, it must have been on International Women's Day last week. Uh, it's Fleecy Malay. Uh, she's a local uh, poet and um, speaker generally, and she did a poem called Witches, and it's gone viral. It went viral within 24 hours, and so far about one and a half million people have watched it. Uh, so we'll hear that a bit later and get her in the studio to have a bit of a chat about her inspirations for that one. Yeah, looking forward to hearing that and getting Fleecy in the studio. Before we hear that, we'll get Julie Shapiro to talk to us. Um, she's the executive producer from Radiotopia, a US-led organisation that puts together lots of different content for podcasts off the back end of a radio network distributor. So we'll hear a little bit about that later on. But before we do that, we'd like to hear a little bit from Hope um, that was part of, as we said before, that 24-hour broadcast the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health acknowledges and pays respect to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation on whose land we work on. Aboriginal sovereignty was never ceded. We recognise that as immigrants to this country we benefit from the colonisation of the land now called Australia and have a shared responsibility to acknowledge the harm done to its first peoples and work towards respect and recognition. We recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are leaders in working to prevent the disproportionate levels of violence enacted against them, their children and their families. We also acknowledge and celebrate that intersectional theory has largely emerged from black and indigenous feminist activism and expertise in the United States and around the world, including Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, their ancestors and elders, both past, present, and acknowledge their continuing connection to land, sea, and community. We hope our work contributes to the wider project of respect and recognition between cultures in Australia. Hello and welcome. My name is Hope Matumbu, and this is a special program for International Women's Day, looking into 40 years of immigrant and refugee women's health and well-being. The Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, or MCWH, is a national organisation run by immigrant and refugee women dedicated to immigrant and refugee women's health. This year, MCWH is celebrating 40 years of immigrant and refugee women's leadership in health and well-being. In this one-hour program, we will be speaking with four women who have helped shape MCWH's history and explore how MCWH has revolutionised women's health services in Australia, as well as discuss MCWH's relevance around issues immigrant and refugee women face today. We'll also be reflecting on another 40 years to come. My first guest is the Health Education Manager at the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, Amira Romanovich. Hi Amira, thank you so much for joining us on International Women's Day. 
Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's a pleasure, really, to be here. Thank you. How long have you been involved with MCWH and what has your role been? Oh, it's now uh, 17 years um, and it's altogether 25 years since I'm in Australia. So uh, most of my time I have spent in MCWH. My, my first role was a training and development um, officer in MCWH. And I think that my um, uh, educational background as a high school teacher helped a lot in really transferring my knowledge of teaching um, to adult learning. Uh, and that that worked really well. Uh, I really enjoyed that transfer from educating young people and children to adults, and uh, it worked very well for me. Mm. So I I stayed in that position of uh, training and development for um, eight years, and then I moved into position of um, managing team of bilingual health educators organizing the work and really liaising with uh, other stakeholders, uh, mostly women and women's group and also workplaces, union representatives, etc., etc., uh, to bring that program uh, to the full speed. Uh, and that's what I enjoy the most. And still now I'm in that position. Mm. And um, why was there a need for services like MCWH in Australia in the 70s? Well, uh, in the 70s, I think uh, there is a period when uh, many migrant um, uh, women, many migrant families start um, arriving um, and they were already here, especially Greek and Italian, Macedonian community. Um, there is not many uh, services that will attend to the needs of uh, migrant and refugee women uh, at that time. Um, uh, there is a committee established to um, discuss and to see, you know, how this woman could be assisted in a way that uh, we know that they have enough information to make informed decision about what they're going to do in relation to family planning. And that's how... Um, establishment or conception of our little organization started with a very, very small team of people and very small fund of some something, I, if I remember, something like $2,000 uh, and with 12 uh, very enthusiastic um, peer educators who were prepared to go into workplaces, community settings and talk to women about family planning and the choices available, but also how to navig navigate health system in Australia. Um, so from that time, um, the, the results were very um, soon obvious that Women actually first didn't have time. They were all employed in uh, mostly textile clothing and footwear industry. Uh, it was very long hours. Um, they were pretty much isolated uh, from the broader community. Um, if the factory employed a lot of Italian um, uh, women, most Italian women will come and join. So 
pretty much the language that they were using in a factory was Italian and uh, most of the time they would spend and then going home or cooking and attending to the family needs. Uh, there were no time pretty much to find out any information um, and uh, really think about uh, their uh, health seriously. Um, so our educators were chosen to represent the languages and the cultural background of the women that we worked with. And they were able to go and talk to women in their workplaces mm. um, over their lunchtime break. And they will um, uh, communicate those messages in um, some informal way around the lunch and um really make sure that women understand the messages uh, that are communicated to them. But also, uh, in the same time, uh, our educators were trying to learn from them or find out from the women themselves what their needs are uh, or what they're interested in and what would be helpful, uh, uh, what kind of information would be helpful for them. So that's with those information in hand, we, we were able to really advocate on behalf of migrant uh, women that we worked with. Um, and that could be done only because um, our educators were part of that community. Um, they understood the culture inside out because they were part of it and they're growing up with it, mm. uh, plus the language. Um, and we know that culture plays a huge role in health-seeking behavior, understanding health and um, how health happens, uh, understanding um uh, the, 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 the very concept of uh, health prevention, which is not the same in every culture, and especially when you come to the new place and totally new system, mm. it doesn't mean that women don't know how to look after themselves, but they were pretty much uh, dislocated from very safe, protective environment where they had extended family with the head system that they perfectly understood. They had uh, that safety uh, uh, nets around them, like knowledge and wisdom of their family members, the elders, the mothers, the aunties, mm. that they can utilize uh, to make sure that they stay healthy. Nothing of that were here. So they're totally dislocated from one place that they could feel very self-sufficient and very confident how they dealing with day-to-day -day, uh, issues and health uh, to this place where they didn't know much about the system and how to access information. So mm. we were there to address that issue mm. and fill in the gap. That's uh, that's wonderful. And now fast forward, um, and you know, there's a there's a whole entire health education uh, team of bilingual health educators. Um, how has MCWH changed since the time you were talking about? And what does that? What are your health educators? What does that program look now? Oh wow, it's a it's a huge difference, um, as you could imagine. So we started pretty much with. Um, one topic, uh, almost, we were talking just about family planning because that was the issue that was picked up um, at that time. Uh, but we know that for women, not only family planning uh, is the health 
uh, issue like for anybody else. There is so many other issues that women wanted to know about and uh, learn about and um, also how to navigate the health system in here that is quite complex and obviously very different from uh, the country of origin. Um, so our program developed into uh, many, many other topics. So currently we really can uh, say with confidence that we that we cover uh, holistically uh, women's health, all aspects of women's health, including uh, sexual health, reproductive health, uh, mental health and well-being, um, preventing chronic diseases, family planning, prevention and a healthy relationship, occupational health and safety for women in workplace. So this is all that has developed over time. Um, and also through our research, on research on the ground, talking to women, uh, working with um, our uh, stakeholders to find out what other issues are important to them and what they want to find out. So I think that the model that we apply in our health education and promotion uh, is very unique, not only in Australia, but uh, throughout the world uh, as long um, as we know that uh, going to workplaces with a team of bicultural, bilingual, highly qualified and uh, educated, accredited health educators uh, brings a huge difference uh, within the community and the level of knowledge and confidence mm. uh, they they. Um, uh, experience after our program um, and the readiness to share this knowledge because women um, are by their nature um, very generous in sharing their knowledge and uh, talking to each other um, what they had uh, opportunity or fortune to learn because not uh, we can't obviously access every woman uh, in Victoria but those who we access and have opportunity and privilege to talk to, uh, we encourage to share information with other women. And obviously we back up um, our um, health education sessions always with multilingual um, uh, resources, written resources that women can share between it, um, themselves and with their family members. Mm. Um, and um, for anybody who's listening out there who maybe has a group of um, of, of, of women from a particular cultural background, uh, the, these health talks are free if yes. people call into book, yeah. aren't they? So, so all our health education is funded um, uh, by uh, Department of Health through fam uh, family planning. Um, and we have allocated budgets to cover a certain number of health education sessions throughout Victoria. So uh, we are statewide. Uh, we have no boundaries. So we can provide health education anywhere uh, and everywhere where women meet. So we do outreach. We don't expect women, uh, obviously, to find where we are and to make trips to our office. But we go wherever they feel comfortable 
wherever they feel safe and wherever they meet anyway for some reason either for either for social uh, gathering or for some education or workplace uh, and we are quite happy to respond to their needs um, anytime um, uh, they need it uh, it's a just simple call uh, to our office, they can call um, um, our office or they can uh, jump on the website uh, and inquire through that. Mm. But either way, uh, we will straight away respond to their requests. Sure. And what is the training process for women who identify as speaking languages other than English in terms of becoming a bilingual health educator? Well, uh, I encourage always women who are passionate about um, sharing uh, knowledge and working uh, within the community uh, uh, sphere uh, and working with the community, empowering community uh, to give us a call. Um, they can give me a call and um, just send um uh, expression of interest, letters stating uh, what they do, um, uh, what languages do they speak and write fluently. Um, and then um, every three to four years, we do recruitment of new uh, um, peer educators. And we're always looking for people who are passionate about working um, in a community setting. Um, and um, we might discuss um, opportunities for a potential training and uh, becoming one of our bilingual health educators. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us this International Women's Day, Amira. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're just tuning in, I was speaking with Amira Romanovic, the Health Education Manager at the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. You're tuned in to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. We were just hearing a celebration of Multicultural Centre for Women's Health presented by Hope Matabe. If you want to learn out more that was happening on last Thursday for IWD, International Women's Day, you can head to 3cr.org slash International Women's Day. We're, <laughs> heading, we're now about to jump into Julie Shapiro, a little conversation we had last week about the work that she's been doing over at Radiotopia in the US and hear a little bit about how Third Coast started the International Audio Festival happening over there. But we jump into Julie explaining what Radiotopia is. So Radiotopia is a pod, literally is a podcast network that was started as a partnership between the company that I work for, the media company PRX, um, and Roman Mars, who is the host, creator, founder, producer of 99% Visible, which is one of our, you know, sort of our flagship podcasts. Although we've got a we've got a few that have reached great levels of success, but Roman really started the network with PRX. He was working with the company at the time and knew some other podcasters who were trying to make make it go with their shows and just needed 
certain support that they didn't have. So Radiotopia was started as a network to help um, independent-minded storytelling at the beginning, most were storytelling shows, ramp up to a point where they could succeed on their own, run, run their shows as businesses, have all of their own creative agency, work for themselves, own their content, and succeed as podcasters. Mm. It is a .org, so it's a non-for-profit, and you have about, how many staff do you sit there at Radiotopia? Um, I'm the only full-time staff person on Radiotopia, so my job is to kind of wrangle. I don't really work on any of the individual shows, um, but I sort of oversee or support all of them and am constantly kind of weighing in on helping them make decisions about things. But So the shows have their own staff. Some of them are solo productions and some, like Roman's show, 99% Invisible, has, I think, seven, six or seven staff members. Um, but so Radiotopia, the network, only has myself working full-time, but we're about to bring on someone to help me. And then I work very closely with the PRX staff, the mark, uh, director of marketing, director of PR, director of sales, all the tech people. So there's a really, PRX has about 25 employees and a lot of those people spend a lot of time on Radiotopia but aren't um, technically working for Radiotopia. Hello, Patty here. Just a side note to give you a bit of context to the conversation that's running here with Julia Shapiro from Radiotopia. PRX is a public radio exchange network. It is a non-for-profit web-based platform for digital distribution and licensing used by radio programs and producers. Um, Radiotopia is the birth child of PRX. That's why we're hearing it referenced here in the conversation. We now take a different angle and hear how Julie Shapiro fell into the community of radio scene. Um, I think the what sort of drove me early on to be part of college radio stations, more from a musical standpoint, I had a couple of music shows when I was in college, and then being tapped into the community station here as well as the public media system, public radio system, you know, it's it's some of the same beliefs and values that are at the heart of Radiotopia. And it's one reason we feel like, um, you know, we're sort of contemporizing to fit the podcast scene, but Radiotopia was really founded with a lot of the values that I, I uh, associate with community radio, which is indep- creative independence and subjectivity where where it comes into play and you know we're um every it's a community like we support each other uh what's good for the network is good for all the shows uh the people involved work really really hard i think we started as a storytelling network but in the past year and a half or two years we've really broadened that a bit and i would say that the the through line now for radiotopia shows is a certain creative spark and innovation in production, but not necessarily storytelling. Some of our shows are a little bit more conversational-based or, or information-based, and it's more the um, the grit and the determination and like the real entrepreneurial spirit of the producer now to, you know, do the extra work to make their shows financially viable so they can support themselves. And so, you get creativity, independence. Independence, capital I, independence, very important to us. Um, everyone owns their own intellectual property, and we all sort of work for the greater good, but also keeping, you know, our their own shows really like at the forefront, so they can succeed and grow their shows. Mm. 
it seems from someone who's relatively new to the space um, and entering 3CR as a community broadcaster and member, 3CR houses lots of different shows in and amongst its community and they all come from very diverse backgrounds and so speak to a wide range of people and communities and give voices to people who may have not had a chance to prior still in a very much radio model but there's always different ways to think about how to reach bigger audiences and whenever we sit down as current affairs team thinking of how to promote these voices and promote their authenticity and get that voice out further because we have frustration with sitting there and going this story's been running in our loop for this many times and then only now is it hitting sort of major media streams and thinking how can we sort of engage and further promote that voice but without losing its integrity it's it seems a little bit like radiotopers doing that it has a little bit of a different model it's streamlined it a lot harder it doesn't have as many voices in it that 3cr would but what would be if you could from that advice to 3cr to, i don't know i suppose broaden its listenership or exposure it's a great question and you know for me there's i think very differently about broadcast and podcast anymore and where my life was consumed with broadcast for a long time now i really primarily work in the podcast space which of course listenership is self-selecting and it's a certain demographic that is comfortable with the technology and growing growing i mean it's you know i think uh it was declared that podcasting hit the mainstream last year so there are millions of people listening but it's still a certain set of millions of people and so we struggle with this honestly all the time we think about it a lot we are constantly thinking about how to pull in more voices into Radiotopia to represent those that aren't yet represented. Um, we started a podcast called Showcase, which is a space where we can experiment a bit and support producers making shows that aren't ongoing but are trying out shorter series. And the goal with that is to push some creative boundaries and um, support new voices and you know just diversify our thinking about what makes a good podcast. So. I guess to answer what I would like the way forward and to grow audiences to I think people respond to when they hear themselves reflected in what they're hearing. You're tuned into 3CR Radio. We're speaking with Julie Shapiro, executive producer of Radiotopia, a podcasting network from the United States. We were just chatting about how Radiotopia works and operates. And now we jump into a part of the conversation where Julie speaks about Third Coast International Audio Festival. Um, Julie drops a few resources and notes on where to explore some more. We jump right into Julie explaining. Third Coast International Audio Festival. We, we founded, co-founded it in 2000 in Chicago. And at that point, this was pre-MP3. This is like the real dark ages for audio. But it came out of a desire to celebrate the artistic uh, potential for audio documentary work. And so we there wasn't a whole lot going on, but there was an independent community in the States that the Third Coast sort of started amongst and then quickly grew into a more international festival um, we were very lucky to tap into a group of producers over in Europe who gathered once a year. So we started bringing in people from Europe and the UK and Australia even. So it grew internationally in those early years and just got bigger and bigger to the point where independent producers in the States had a place to come and be inspired to think about creative audio production, um, mostly coming out of the public radio world, but a little bit with uh, people on the margins and more in the sound art worlds. and. So, and, you know, everything from journalism and news to 
feature making and, and sound art production. Um, and now Third Coast still going strong and they're sort of evolving with the podcast scene. So they, they're still, um, for a while we went, where there's a competition and a conference and public events and you know, we did all sorts of things and the conference scaled back to every other year, but they've ramped it back up to every year. So anyone listening to this who's curious about audio production in the community, start saving now and get yourself over to Chicago. It's a great city to come to anyway. Still a Chicagoan at heart, um, even though PRX is located in Massachusetts and I live near Cambridge, Massachusetts now, um, in a town called Arlington. But yeah, Third Coast is still going strong and it's a great vessel for understanding some of the most beautiful and complicated and simple and complex and interesting work that's been made. The website is an archive of hundreds of pieces. All of the award winners are listed there. And valuably, if you can't make the flight over, all of the conference sessions get posted to the website. And they've even started a podcast that uh, releases the conference session. So you can even, um, you know, every year at the conference, the luminaries of the field and some of the up and coming shining stars come and, and talk. So you can always learn so much from those talks and you can hear them, you know, from the comfort of your living room. If you can't wing over to Chicago for the conference. And just quickly, I wanted to catch that snippet of how third coast started. Where did that start from? Was it a seed? Were you part of that? Oh, um, so third coast started originated as a project of WBEZ, the the big uh, beloved public radio station in Chicago. And I happened to move to Chicago right when uh, my partner in crime at, at, at for the next 15 years, it turned out, Johanna Zorn, ha who had been working at WBEZ, had this idea for a festival. And she kind of convinced the um, station general manager to let her give it a go. And I just happened to have a tour of the station and meet Johanna and I had some experience with uh, promoting or planning a, a music, experimental music and film festival. I'd worked at the Center for Documentary Studies and I'd had a little bit of radio experience. So combined those sort of were perfect to start the festival up. So, so she had the initial idea. I kind of landed out of nowhere right on time. And then we dreamt from there like what it would become um, a, a radio program and a conference and a competition and these public events and it's become a live event festival as well so it's really it's thriving now I think 800 plus people went to the conference last fall and you'd have to turn people away because there's such a deep interest now with the podcasting's really cracked open this whole new generation of, of makers so that's it. You're hearing from Julie Shapiro right there talking about Third Coast International Audio Festival and Radiotopia, a podcast distribution network. You're tuned into 3CR Radio with Nick Patty. And up next, we've got Fleecy in the studio to talk about some lovely videos and poems that have been coming from her neck of the woods. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice and add your voice to the call for change to refugee policy. Demand Australia's political leaders to abandon the current harsh and unjust policies and provide permanent protection for refugees. Stand with people from all over Melbourne. Demand the evacuation of Manus and Nauru and end the cruelty. Meet at the State Library of Victoria on the 25th of March at 1.30pm. Palm Sunday Walk for Justice is a 3CR supporter.
in the past. They burned us because they thought we were witches. Just because we knew what to do with herbs outside of the kitchen, because we knew how to dance, how to seduce, how to pray. Because we moved with the cycles of the moon. In the past, they burned us alive because they knew that we are witches. So now we cast spells with our mouths, pieces of our hearts spill out. It is incredible the power of a woman who is not afraid to say no. No, we won't sit any longer while you ponder on our rights, on our rights to give or not give life, on our rights to make another woman our wife, on our rights to be safe, to get paid an equal wage, to have a voice, you know, in a place where we might actually make a change. It is incredible the amount of ways that they have slayed just to keep us small. If they could have, they probably would have burned us all, but they couldn't with fire, so they did it with words, laid down laws to determine the amount of our worth. They kept us in contracts, they separated our circles, erased us from pages and made labour-saving devices our saviours. It is incredible how quickly knowledge can fade, how much effort was invested to lead us astray. But we will not come quietly. Well, there's another thing they've tried to take away. You know, our rights to exclaim our orgasms ecstatically. Mm -mm. We will not come quietly. We will open our mouths and let our spells spill out, cast poetic prayers into the night so that every woman can hear the howl of her sister's delight, reminding her that her voice deserves to be heard. Let her jaw drop. Let her shame stop. Let her body scream under the self-pleasure of what it means to be a woman who can speak freely. You see, words, they carry meaning. And they have fooled us for so long into believing that no means yes. So much so that I'm almost impressed, except, well, I finally discovered that they're right. So I've claimed back that no as mine. Because every no I throw against their forces is another yes I retain for my own self-worth. It is a spell I cast for my own protection. It is incredible. The power of a woman who is not afraid to say no. And this old witch? I'm done with broomsticks. I'm done with know your place. This witch knows that some knowledge just won't fade. That every woman is my sister. That through the hubble and the bubble and the toil and the trouble we grow stronger when we cast our spells together. That we entered the fire and now we rise from the ashes and we are holding our candles and lighting our matches until the night becomes lighter and our voices can grow because we have remembered we are witches and we have learned to say no. And that's Fleecy Malay there from a video that was released just a week ago or a little under a week ago uh, on International Women's Day. And we have Fleecy in the studio right now. Thank you for joining us in 3CR, Fleecy. Thank you for having me. Hi. Uh, and what a poem. <laughs> Uh, and so far, 1.36 million people have watched that. So you have gone viral uh, in less than a week of it being online. How does that feel? Yeah, it's been incredible. It's been an incredible feeling. It's been a really affirming feeling, yeah. So... The whole, I mean, first of all, again, I love that poem. It really resonated with me and obviously has resonated with a lot of people. I think that's why it's, it's going out so far. Um, and in it, you're, you're using this, this, this narrative of, of, of the witch, of this, um, this, this woman who can 
who can cast spells, who can use magic, the power of magic in the world around us. And I, I feel like this is uh, something that's been coming up a lot um, among people that are uh, countering the, the failing mainstream narratives that are out there at the moment. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit more about, um, about how magic inspires your work? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Or what you think magic is. What I think magic is. So for me, in the context of this poem, it really goes back to the etymology, actually, the word spell, which is to to tell a story. So literally the word to cast a spell is to cast a story out into the world. And for me, there is this um, magical capacity that happens when you tell stories that you begin to shift matter, that things change. People's emotions change, people's stories and people's narratives, people's paradigms can shift when we speak ourselves with with truth and fullness. And um, so I think within the context of this, there is definitely about that kind of very physiological shift that can happen inside people. I say physiological, you know, it it changes our emotions. There's an emotive shift that happens in people. Um, Outside of that, to me, poetry is magic. Like you see, I see poetry everywhere I look in the the shapes of things. So, and it's, um, I mean, you, you, it's driven by this idea of the the burning witch, this uh, this this thing we have from three four hundred years ago, of which I'm not sure how much of it is uh, myth and truth, but I'm not sure that that matters in the in the in the progress of stories. Um, we know that there certainly were people burnt alive at at times how many we're not sure uh and and the effect of that has certainly um certainly gone through to today i've had friends describe themselves as unburned witches before um so that i I really love that uh uh that phrase and um i i guess uh, i'm uh, can i speak to that yeah yeah absolutely so i i actually feel like women are still being burned and that's the big point of it is that, that – and you can see it in the way – like I haven't read that many of the comments on the main thread because because of the burning of the witches, which is the slamming down, the, the trolling, the, the kind of ripping down of what people are saying. And so every time well, – quite often, not every time, but quite often when women speak up in their truth, they get pulled down again, they get ripped down, they get burned, and not just by people of other gender identities, by each other. And I think that's something that's really important to me to shift is this concept of celebration rather than rather than criticism and, and competition. What do you think it is that drives that? <sighs> I think it's a big it's a big story that we've been taught in media, especially as if I'm talking it from the identity of being a woman, mm. big, ripping other women down, which I have done in my life for sure. It's what I've been taught since I was a kid. You watch shows and movies and anything. There's there's always the story of of, of she's this, she's that, I'm not this, I'm not that, or I'm more this or more that than somebody else. And it creates this culture of competition. And in that we have to rip each other down to, to lever- leverage ourselves up. And that doesn't, that doesn't work. Does that sort of tie into this, this idea of, or this maybe archetypal idea or stereotypical idea of the, uh, the gossipy woman, the, the circles of women gossiping about the other woman, about her clothes, about her lifestyle choices, all of these sorts of things? Mm, I feel like that narrative creates that in us. You know, I was told that about myself as a child. What is it? When I think of mum's circles, I didn't think of women supporting each other in a circle. I thought of women bitching about each other, you know. And I don't know if I can say language like that. But, um, no, no, but that's, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> and, and as a mother now, I totally see that's not what it is. When I come together with other mums, we actually support each other and we, we listen to each other and we hear each other. And I think that's the narrative that needs to be told a lot more. Yeah. And so you feel like that story of, say, where Nick was coming from is something that we're told that happens, but in actuality, there's a lot more caring nature 
to those mothers' groups. Totally. I think that the, uh, the same with any story of stereotype is there may have been at some point something that create, that, that did exist like that. Totally. The, the hippie stereotype, long-haired, round glasses, you know, going to music festivals, sure, that existed, but you can't, you can't take um, every single person who you think is that stereotype and just place those labels on them. And it's the same with women. We've been given a lot of stereotypes that we, have, that we now try and live up to, mm. and I think that that's not... It's not okay. Mm, and breaking that down, where did this poem um, begin from? Where was the starting point? Was there one or is it all just sort of come around and you've captured that moment and just... Yeah, it's one. Of, it's an interesting story actually um, and that is I was driving along to meet a friend and it just started pouring into my head and I don't know if anyone's listened to the Elizabeth Gilbert pod, um, TED Talk where she talks about the concept of the genie but she talks about, I think it's Tom Waits driving along and this this song comes into him and he's like, look, if you really want me to have this universe, you're going to wait. You're going to wait until I'm not driving <laughs> so I can actually get this down and I did that. I was driving along and it was pouring into my head and I had to say out loud, look, if you really want me to have this poem, you're going to have to wait. You know, because I, I can't, I can't remember all this while I'm driving. And yeah, the moment I got out of the car, it was just pouring into my head, and I had to like type it all out. And yeah, did a live video of it pretty much the moment after I finished writing it, and that went to twenty two thousand views just off my personal profile. You're very engaged with um, Melbourne's uh, alternative cultures, so, or alternative. I don't know if it's cultures, subcultures, lots of lots of things going on. Do you uh, do you feel like? the values that you're talking about here are well reflected in our cultures or do you feel like there's a lot of work that needs to be done? I think both. I think that there's there's a lot. I mean, j- just seeing the response to the poem shows how much people are saying yes to this sort of stuff, saying yes to the, to the power. You, if, especially around Melbourne, the response to the um, the yes campaign as well was immense, and I think that's all there. But totally, there's work. Even like I've got work to do. I'm not I'm not perfect. You know, we're all we're all in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is. I mean, it is something that that um, is is a reminder as well that uh, whenever. I mean, uh, even the, the the sort of metaphor of the fire. The fire is the thing that you know burns the fuel to get it ready to turn into new fuel. Really, it's it's never the end or the start of the process. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, so I love that um, that metaphor. Now you do a lot of other a uh, lot of other work, a lot of other poetry work. You do uh, public uh, public speaking workshops with, with people. Yeah, yep. so I do in person in Melbourne one called Speak Up and I do one online called Rise. So how do people find out about that if they're uh, interested in finding out more about what you're up to? Yeah, they can go to my website, fleecymalay.com. They can sign up to my mailing list as well or and follow me on any social media. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, they're my three. Yep, yep, excellent. So look for uh, Fleece Himalay and that's F-L-E-A-S-S-Y. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, what's, what's, on the, uh, what's on the horizon for you? Do you have any, anything in particular now riding off this, this wave of virality and um, bringing the witches forth? I do have visions. I don't know whether I can name any of them fully. I, one, one dream that I have is to do a tour of Canada um, because that's where I got into spoken word originally. So that's kind of one thing I'm planning into the universe. In Canada? Yeah. Just, I mean, just quickly, we don't have too much time left, but can you tell us a little bit of a story about how Canada got you into spoken word? Yeah, I ran away from li- working in the circus. I ran away from the circus and I ran to Canada <laughs> and I found um, and I found poetry in this tiny little hostel in, in Victoria on Vancouver Island and something in me shifted and that was 12 years ago and I've been doing spoken word ever since. What was the circus work you were doing before then, if you don't mind me asking, <laughs> or is that uh, secrets for... 
for another day. Oh, I've, I've done all kinds of stuff in circuses. I, I was big into circus. It was my way of trying to find authenticity in the performance world, and I didn't find it there for myself, and I didn't find it in on stage at, at, in theatre either. I found it in spoken word. I imagine um, a lot of that would have helped to build your performing capacity uh, to, to the, the sort of power you can emanate now as a spoken word artist. Definitely, so. yeah. Definitely pull upon my theatre training. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Fleecy, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you very much for your poem. Uh, I think it really has resonated with a lot of people. Uh, we were just looking at the exact number. It's around 1.367 something something million people, so mm. lots of people, and you've been getting lots of feedback. I, I haven't actually read the comments section, but often they're fire. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, yeah, burn it, and uh, we'll, we'll use you for fuel for the next lot. Um, yeah, thank you for coming in, Fleecy. Thank you so much, and thanks for all the support. Yeah. Felicity May on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. We've had a great show today. And if you do want to check out that poem or share it with your friends, please do. It's on the 3CR Wednesday Breakfast Facebook page if you uh, are one of the 112 people that, <laughs> that checks out that. Uh, so you can check that out. Or uh, as Felicity said before, uh, fleecymalay.com.au. Um, big thank you to Hope and putting on a show for us um, for the first hour of the program. We thought we wanted to do a big shout out to that and hark back to thursday with the international women's day running for 24 hours here at 3cr radio yep 3cr.org.au again is the place to go to find out uh, more about the uh the, the many shows that are on that day uh, many of them will be podcast as well so that you can uh subscribe download and listen to a lot of the uh, a lot of things that were discussed on that day big time so Thanks for listening. Thanks for your ears. And uh, next week, um, you'll be off at, uh, we were just discussing, you're going off to some middle of nowhere, <laughs> to a beach, uh, to, to have a sleep under the stars. That's it. Clear the head, sleep under the stars in the middle of nowhere. What yep. better place to do it? I hope the show and trust the show will go very smoothly <laughs> with you, Nick. Yep, yep. I'll, um, I'll, 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 I'll figure it out. We'll have I'll a try and find I'll some I'll try things. and use my finger to just pick up a little 3CR signal Yeah, channel it. Yeah, just wet it a little bit <laughs> up into the sky and you'll, you'll pick it up. That's how we work here. Yeah. Well, best of luck and thanks again for listening. You're tuned in to 3CR. Up next is Stick Together. Have a beautiful Wednesday. Oh. <laughs> wobbly <laughs> wobbly old hey hey maybe that's a good just moment to just say 3cr.org.au if you want to donate to 3cr and help our wobbly studio get onto it <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>